That was a good fink, right? That was a good fink. Wait, crap. Are we still on the mountain? We are still on the mountain. <gasps> SpongeGar meme. <laughs> <laughs> we're stuck on the chairlift. Oh, God, we're still on this. Thing. I woke up. I thought it was a dream. Yeah, sorry about that. Well, welcome to Tail Time Podcast, the podcast where we read your stories. Here, stuck on a chairlift, a montage mountain we're in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Home yeah, of Camp Bisco and many, many, many forgotten memories. Mm, yep. <laughs> and we're going to continue to forget all these memories because we luckily brought all the beer and the podcasting equipment. So, but here we are. Camp Bisco was great, though. We had a wonderful time. Fantastic time. A little awesome time. Yeah, a little break for us. We the Odessa set was absolutely amazing. Tipper, top five. Like yep. I, Rusko was really, yep. really good. Rusko was good. Rusko was really good. I'm upset that um, Rusko had to start when Odessa was finishing. So right. we only caught the last one. 19. I remember looking at my clock and I was like, "Crap, we only have 19 minutes left." For Rusko. <laughs> this is the first festival but, where I was actually like going to see everybody wanted to see. Yeah, right. It was, yeah. It was per- dude, Bisco knows what they're doing for sure. I saw everyone who I wanted to see except for uh, LSD Dream. Yeah. So there was gonna be it was between that and Casbo, but it was an easy decision because my knee was broken. So I was like, I'm staying here. And, and Casbo was really good. Casbo was great. Was awesome. I, I yeah. was thoroughly impressed, but had never um, heard of them before. But I'm LSD very glad I stayed up though. It no, was, it was a good I had, I the first night Hero Bust, dude. We dude, were all, so good. We were like, yeah, I missed that one. I, my girlfriend Kelsey was there, and she took up like it takes me like maybe two people spaces to dance because I'm pretty lanky, bro. She had like an entire circumference of thirty people just like <laughs> all around, <laughs> like. She needs to flail her arms, man. She needs to express herself. She's yeah. a dancer. You so. need the rage space. Yep. You do need the rage toe. space. She raged for that broken toe. She didn't complain oh, about that broken yeah. toe Not once. once. Big shout out Meanwhile, to my girlfriend. Meanwhile, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, right? And she's like, oh, really? Like, I'm in a boot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was but great. Yeah. Those she, boots trooper, are so man, annoying, so. too. I mean, she you carried her like once. half the time, but we don't need to talk about that. Kelsey's a Kelsey's a brute, dude. I I definitely, all the uphill brute. stuff, I definitely did that to uh, get all those good boyfriend uh, points. All the cookie points? All the cookie points. But uh, yeah, <laughs> anyways, we are, around us is a water park, so um, at Camp Bisco, you have the pavilion, but then across the way, you also have a water park. And it's a really cool setup. Yeah, it's it is. Great. For so a music the stage festival. is right yeah. next to the wave pool. You got the Royal Flush, if you know what that is. Um, basically, you get flushed down the toilet. It's great, but not really. And there's you got some slides. You got some. Uh, uh, you got the Lazy River, and uh, we just want to take a last minute what view of this all, and that's why we're still here because they yeah. closed the camp. On exactly. Us well, you were stuck. like, they shut Jeff? down. They shut is down. Jeff, is Jeff sleeping behind us right now? Yeah, he's been there for a while. Yeah. I think he he. Um, he was there. He actually tried Stupid to... Stupid triple chairs. They got to upgrade to the quads. Poor kids behind us. When we get him, we should bring him to the hospital. For the last three days, he's thinking... We didn't get out of here. He's thought he's been a uh, peregrine falcon, and he's been flapping his arms. I told him not to drink that water bottle. Yeah. I, you know, we didn't know God. where it came from, but... Good thing we had those bungee cords. We strapped him to that chair. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you climbed over there, <laughs> yeah. and like, I didn't know you were so ambidextrous with going back and forth, but... Yeah, you know. Well, he'll be fine. Anyways. Tell him to flag down one of the cleaning crews. So, yeah, some, well, some dude, everybody's gone. So everybody's gone for days. I can't believe. Oh, I just want to see one more of you. There's just going to be that one, like, straggling woke, like, oh, <laughs> like, below. I was like, hey, God, like, some help. <laughs> he's going to look up and be like, he's like, oh, like, nods off, falls down the hill. <laughs> no! I was going to say, he's just going to think he's tripping still. <laughs> yeah, right. No, he's going to look at. Look at those people in the chairlift. They can't be real. He's going to look at Jeff, and he thinks he's a peregrine falcon, so he's going to go, oh, oh. And Jeff's going to go, ah, ah, and then we're going to be screwed in the middle. A dragon so. hog. 
Dragonhawk, yeah, so whatever. That's a Liquid Stranger uh, uh, reference. By the way, Liquid Stranger is sick. You know, oh, dude, Let's and Liquid Snails. Like Forget about yeah. it. All the liquids. Just all the all fluids the liquids. were great. All the fluid-based bands. I was nodding off during Liquid, but not really because I actually slept during Tipper a little bit. But don't tell anybody that. Oh, man. Dude, this guy, I got some videos, and I was like nodding in and out. Hey, Wednesday this was guy. a difficult day. You know it. It was a difficult day. For people that don't know or don't listen to this, it's EDM music, so it's uh, electronic dance music. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's hosted by uh, yeah. the Disco Biscuits, yeah. who, are, who are a jam band. Great jam band. I was going to say, there was so. a few jam bands there. There sure. was the Biscuits, yeah. there was Twiddle. You know, It's a nice amalgamation really of the good. two. I definitely, I can't do Disco Biscuits, I can't do jam bands. I'll, really I've know. just seen so many Biscuit sets. Like Dude, so I've good. seen them so many times that I'm like, all right, like if somebody else is, if there's a, if there's some kind of overlap, like I'm going to go to the other person. Right. I, me and Kelsey said the same. We like, where's the beginning and the end of that song? Like we, we there is no beginning and end. Right. For ever. the, for like yeah, an hour. On, but yeah. I don't like fish heads that are just like, they're raging hard. They're like, this is what I live for. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't, I don't know. I just can't do it. It's just not my, my bread and butter, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yes, we are your hosts. Twiddle, I, though. I mean, Twiddle is like Twiddle's good. Twiddle's right? definitely I get real. so much shit for liking Twiddle. <laughs> Do you like, really? Yeah, no. Recently on my Facebook, I put, I was interested in going to one of their events, and then everyone just started, like, shaming me for it. I'm like, come on. They're not that. <laughs> <amazing. laughs> They're just like, a Twiddles. bunch of guys, you know, playing some instruments, and the guy has an interesting voice. So it's what? such a I weird thing. Good. Twiddle's it's, so good. Yeah. But yeah, so we are your hosts. I am Andrew Brunick. To the left of me is someone who's taking up all the butt space, Dan Palmer. Ugh, I'm sorry. This has got that booty space. Here. And to the right of me is someone holding all the podcast equipment again, Jacob Bransky. Hey. Hey, there again, you are. I was a table in that dragon's throat. I also have grain if you want. Do you? Oh, Not you have some grain? The grain. The grain oh, my. Do you want to tell green, green. listeners at home how you lost your grain? And then, oh, uh, it's such a great story. I'll try to make it as interesting as possible. It's um, such a feel good. Can you do it you in 30 under, seconds? Yes. If you don't understand, though, of what it's like to lug your <laughs> for hours to get to your festival your ground, <laughs> you won't understand this, but it sucks. You wait in lines in your cars for hours. Luckily, we didn't have to, but still, when we're doing seconds. offsite, you have to park offsite. You got to lug a car's worth of shit. Faster. Onto a shuttle. <laughs> Off the shuttle, you have to get onto the mountain with another the shuttle. Next one, right. Okay, When going. we get there after like three, four hours. Right, three, four hours. <laughs> <laughs> we pissed the tent. I realized I forgot all my food and the grain that and the was grain. supposed to feed everybody. We arrive, well, we're like, where's the grain, where's the food? And Jake's like, I don't have it. So the next day, the we whole time, also the whole time, Jake's like, as soon as we get there, as <laughs> soon as we set up the tent, we're taking grain shots. So we set up all the tents and everything, and where's the grain, Jake? Where's the grain? Where's the grain? Well, that's what I was wondering, and then that's when I realized I left it at the parking lot. So the next day, Which we is go two back shuttles down. away. Two shuttles like, away. I was like, this is for sure gone. So... So luckily, everybody in our crew is just awesome. So we're all going to go out, get some more alcohol, get some more food. We get to the parking lot, and I see this, like, blue bag, and I'm like, it's, like, blue plastic bag. And I thought it was it, and it was a water bottle bag, and I was like, oh. But then I look over, and at the fence is another bag that looks just like mine. I'm like, stop the bus! Stop the bus! Run off the bus! The bus like, was stopping anyway. <laughs> it was fully stopped, <laughs> just jumping fully, out the window. It was, fully stopped. Yeah. It was easing into the stop. <laughs> okay, I didn't even say that either. But anyways, I ran off the bus, and I was just like, that's my bag. Holy crap. And, and the security and it guy was, was like, okay. everything. It was security guy wasn't the even there. 
There was, was no wet security. From the rain. There was nothing. People on Facebook actually said they looked through it. Swear to God, Andrew. Yeah, someone was like, oh, I saw that bag and I looked through it. It was a lot of like snacks and stuff. I'm like, good thing you didn't go all the way to the bottom where <laughs> 1.75 liter worth of grain was just sitting there. 95% alcohol. Says flammable on the bottle. He would know because he lit his hair and body all on fire with it. So. It was actually just my hand, but thanks for trying. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that was our Bisco Miracle. That was a Bisco Miracle. A lot of Bisco Miracles. It was a good that's year. A, that's a, that's I we've been doing this for a long time now. Mm-hmm. We really, really do enjoy it. Um, yep. If you like that kind of music and you haven't heard, I'm sure you have heard of it. But definitely, you know, there's uh, EDC, there's uh, Electric Force, there's so many. But Camp Bisco is kind of it's kind of on the smaller scale. You know, it's, it's not really it's not, not I don't know, popularity. Camp Bisco, there's something about Camp Bisco that is not like other festivals. It's the black sheep of the festival. It is. Kind it is. Of, yeah, it's right. like just like the filth yeah i don't know it's kind of ratchet can i say that it's a little ratchet right yeah it's a ratchet kind of thrown together (laughs) festival that works every time our canopy was on a boulder that probably weighed about 25 cars or more and me and Tragonski both slept on a rock yeah, I mean, we were <laughs> like, all it was brutal. Rocks. It was all rocks. I feel like the organizers are like, a lot of this mountain is just rocks. Like, dude, they don't care. That's they fine. They'll care. be fine. These kids are so spun out. They don't give a <laughs> crap where they're sleeping. Today, we're very, very excited. I'm very, very excited. We're actually redoing a story we did the other week, but we just feel like we didn't do it justice enough. Um, it's actually from a friend from high school, Ashley Bushaheen. She has a great story, so we're really excited to read that. There's a little bit of background and everything that we want to. So. The story is called Stories They Won't Tell, and it's obviously about her family in the um, Lebanese Civil War. Uh, I have a little bit of background in the Lebanese Civil War for listeners at home so they kind of understand the context of where the story is coming from. It was a multifaceted civil war from 1975 to 1990, which is 15 years. Dude, that's so long. I don't know how people do that, like 15-year civil war. It estimated 120,000 deaths with nearly 76,000 people were still displaced as of 2012. And there was an exodus of almost one million people. Wow. Some uh, predicating factors behind it. It seems like it was a very, it, there was multiple factions that were binding together. There was constant like betrayal, and there were there were a lot of alliances, then broken alliances across that 15 year span. But for the most part, it was along two lines. It was Christian versus Muslim, and maybe like Sunni and Shia sections of that uh, also fighting each other. But there was also a Cold War background to it that kind of predicated the war where um, there were leftist groups and right group and like pro-West groups. So there were, you know, pro-Soviet groups and pro-American groups that were kind of uh, were fighting each other as well. So it's kind of like a quagmire like the Syrian war right now that began in 2011 and, you know, in the formation of ISIS in 2014. So it's, it's, it's kind of uh, scary how that mirrors the ongoing co- conflict since the end of World War One. that is, uh, you know, Encompassed like a continuation in a different in a different area. Yeah, it is. Um, so I mean, that's a very long war. A lot of people displaced. One million people displaced. I, I think even Syria has more than that now. But I think that it's. I think what's great about this story is that it can be applied to our contemporary context. You know what I mean? Like I feel mm-hmm. like World War II doesn't do that as well. But this could. This is. You know, you could apply this to Syrian families now that are seeking refuge oh, for sure, in yeah. other countries across Europe and America. So the fighting started in 1975 and the ceasefire was 1989, but there's still tensions going on, still go on today. And I think that this is a very loose alliance between a lot of these factors and, and the government. The story is obviously nonfiction. It's a, she says it's a part of a larger group of stories that Ashley has been collecting about her family 
and their experiences growing up in a time of conflict. She actually published it in Salon Magazine when she just got out of college. A couple of years ago, I think it was 2011 that she first published it. Ashley is a 28-year-old, first-generation Lebanese-American figuring her shit out in California. She (laughs) writes stories about her family's experiences as refugees and immigrants to the United States and about her own experience of home as a moving target. When she's not writing, she enjoys knitting, rock climbing, poetry, and traveling. At the time of this reading, she is in La Serena, Chile. Uh, she's actually at Machu Picchu now. So she said this a couple weeks ago. Uh, she has two cats, Fred and Milkshake. That's an awesome name for a cat. Milkshake. Milkshake. That's an awesome name for a human being. So, yes. So uh, the people are going to be reading it today. Dan will read half, and then I'll read the other half. Dan can do the first part. Jay can read the title. This is Stories They Won't Tell by Ashley Bouchine. There are things my mom didn't tell me about her childhood in Lebanon. She gave me snippets of little Hanadi at a French Catholic elementary school, standing in the corner of the classroom in her underwear because she wore the wrong colored pants with her uniform. Of summers spent in the mountains or on the beach, of waiting for the almonds to ripen on the trees and impatiently eating them while they were still sour and green. And I know at some point, she fell in love with my father, who lived a few houses down the street in their village of Ras Mosca, and that she moved to the Bronx when she was 18 to marry him. But many of the details are hazy, hidden, and so many of the years of her youth are shaded with clouds of war, a mist that hangs over all memories, blurring the line between the good ones and the bad. One thing she would talk about was a dog she had when she was growing up. He was a Saluki Persian greyhound named Fox. My Jadu, Jalil, Jadu meaning grandfather, kept him as a hunting dog. Fox had slender legs and a barrel chest, a fast runner and tireless predator. Salukis are known better for their tendency to bound off unexpectedly never to return than they are for obedience. But it is said that a fierce loyalty can be earned from a Saluki given the right treatment. Jadu got him as a pup and Taita, which means grandmother, Henriette would cradle him in her arms, feeding him out of a bottle like an infant. While he was not with Jaleel hunting, Fox would escort Henriette whenever she left the house, whether she liked it or not. My understanding is that she did not, at least at first. If she went to the market, to church, to the man now old and blind who ground their thick Turkish coffee by hand, Fox would follow her. He would sit patiently just outside the door or gate, knowing somehow that this was the only thing for him to do until Henriette was ready to leave. The grocery stores near their town did not sell dog food. At that time, people in Lebanon didn't keep dogs as pets. The many strays lurking the streets were considered pests. The few people who did usually used them as guard dogs, feeding them table scraps so that they were wolfish and mean. But Fox was a prized hunting dog and grew to be a member of the family besides. So Jaleel would drive an hour each way to a meat packing factory to buy throwaway cuts and giblets to feed the hound, enough for the entire month. If there wasn't room in the freezer, he'd take out the human food and let it defrost on the table. Well, Jaleel would say to the shocked Henriette, looks like we'll have to eat this food now. In his mind, the family could go to the grocery store anytime, but Fox's food couldn't go bad. Every other year, Jaleel and his friend would drive to Germany to trade in their cars. The trip would take a few months, through Bulgaria and Serbia, 
they'd stop at roadside stands and buy fine hand-cut crystal glasses and furs sold by Soviet satellite artisans for next to nothing and bring them back to Lebanon to sell and give as gifts. Before the trip one year, sometime before the Civil War started, his daughters begged him, don't get a yellow Mercedes. The color was, for some reason, very popular that year, but Hanadi and Rula thought it made the otherwise classy car look like a taxi. He promised he wouldn't, but when he drove back into town, of course, it was in a big yellow car. They hated it, but after two years he traded it in anyway, and the cycle continued. The road from Lebanon to Germany is not what it used to be. During those times when Jalil was away, Henriette would have to start feeding the dogs scraps from the table, since she didn't have a car and couldn't drive to the factory for Fox's usual fare. The proud and disappointed Saluki would look at her, then at the food, then back at her without touching it, and whine. If you don't want to eat that, Henriette would scold as if he should understand her words, you better pray the one who brings the good stuff comes back. In July of 1976, about a year after the start of the Civil War, news came that Christian forces would begin a counterattack against the Muslim militia. All the schools closed, and the last thing on the dissolving government's agenda was making sure teachers were still getting paid. This put Jalil, a physical education instructor, out of work and the family in danger. My mother told me they left to live with the family in Tartus, Syria. They had to leave Fox behind at the house with my mother's aunt and grandfather. The two of them stayed in the house with seven or eight other elderly people who couldn't travel, along with my father's family and a few other stubborn Lebanese. My father told me the decision to stay nearly cost him his life, but part of me can't blame them. In a place and time like that, leaving meant abandoning everything. You might come back to find your house still standing, but what would be left of your life when you returned? When the fighting finally reached Rasmaska, at that time the last town before Tripoli, in what became the stalemated front line between Muslim and Christian forces, militiamen on both sides swept through the streets, shooting cats, dogs, birds, every animal they found, so that their barks and screeches wouldn't give away the soldiers' positions to the enemies. Fox was the last dog they ever had. My grandfather was too heartbroken to replace him, even though he had owned hunting dogs all his life. And my mother, though it is clear she loves dogs and never hesitates to babysit my sister's or the neighbor's dogs, has always refused to get one of her own. Growing up, she gave other reasons. She didn't want to clean up after it or didn't want it scratching up the furniture. But now I know this isn't the truth. Not the complete truth, anyway. I also know that what she said about going to live with a family in Tardis wasn't the complete truth, either. They did go to Tardis, but they lived by themselves in a single room with no electricity, no bathroom, and no water. All seven of them, Jadu Jalil, Taita Henriette, my mother Hanadi, age 14, Aunt Rula, 12, Uncle Michael, 8, Uncle Chadi, 2 and a half, and my Aunt Nidal, just 8 months old, slept on two mattresses pushed together on the floor with a single kerosene lamp for light and a kerosene stove for cooking and heat. They left Rasmaska in a hurry with the clothes on their back and no money, not knowing how long they would be gone. Jalil used his car to taxi people from Tardis to Homs to Hama to Damascus to Aleppo, driving day in and out so that the family could eat. They lived that way for four months, though it would be almost a year before they could return home. This is what my mother wouldn't talk about. Those days spent crowded in that room, the oldest of five children in exile. Her mother still nursing the youngest and her father gone for most hours of the day. Those days of her life she wouldn't share with me. Not yet, at least. No, that story was told to me by my Jadu, Jalil. But Jalil 
he wouldn't talk about the dog. So that was an amazing story. I absolutely love that. That was that was really really awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley, for that story. Yes, thank you so much, Ashley. Really that was powerful, awesome. Thank you for actually, so. This is one of the most, and it's cool because this is the first nonfiction story we've got. Yeah, um, yes, definitely. Besides maybe mm-hmm. Cal's story or whatever, I think mm-hmm. that this is really, 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 really cool. I I love it. The fact that it's more visceral because it's real too, and uh, the fact that when I was like doing research earlier and I was looking it up, and it's, I mean, the death toll and the amount of people that were displaced that that you know are, are refugees in other countries. I think that it kind of adds a certain element to it that really brings it to life. You know what this reminds me of? So one of my favorite series when I was growing up were those diaries. You know, you'd have diary of Patrick whatever, you know, who is a, who is a soldier in World War II. You learn about the general overview, you know, from like a bird's eye view of World War II. All the points he was involved, had the death toll, he had all this and everything. And then you read a diary from somebody who was in it. Mm-hmm. And it yep. gives you a completely different perspective. It gives you a whole nother. It really gives you emotion to a to a kind of data and empirical story that you've learned thus far. And I feel like that's what this does, right? This story gives you a, an emotional um, kind of perspective to a data empirical story that we kind of know. I mean, I feel like. This, the Lebanese war, the Syrian war, that's not covered in the same way that the Afghanistan war was covered or the Iraq war. You know, mm-hmm. like it wasn't blasted on the news. Like It seems almost foreign to us. Right, exactly. And it kind of like gives you... a uh, look into a personal story. Exactly. Very... Of what somebody actually had to go through a day-to-day life of somebody's, of somebody's life, you know, that you don't, that you don't get in the news and definitely Ashley I'm happy that you were able to get this story because a lot of grandchildren and great-grandchildren don't know the stories of their families and don't even don't even bother to ask sometimes right um, when you do you'll be surprised they may not be as intense as yours um, but they're never not you know anywhere away from dull that is for sure so that is great that you were actually able to get a little background in your family, and this is uh, definitely an intense one, that's for sure. It is, yeah. I know my grandmother went through, you know, traveling through Europe th- during uh, World War II, and she definitely has an intense story, so, you know, but, you know, not everybody has, Jake, has don't this kind you of have, juice, you know? <laughs> don't you have a Holocaust survivor in your family, too? Um, I, I probably do that. Maybe I don't even know about, honestly. I thought you had told me about No, but no, my grandmother, you know, she, she was traveling through France and Europe, everywhere through Europe. And, you know, that's how she met her, her, my grandfather. I never met him, but he was an American soldier. And, uh, uh she, yeah, that, that, that was the story. Yeah. yeah. She just caught, um, you know, some jokes that he said. And I guess they kind of, nowadays you would say they hit it off and the dates home would be. Or not the dates home, but the dates would be him walking uh, uh, my grandmother home and then basically brought her back to America, you know. So everyone kind of has, like, these crazy stories, but not everybody knows about them, you know. Um, 
so it's good that you were able to get some details on everything, and it's very interesting. And I definitely wish I got some it more makes out you of my grandfather. It makes you appreciate life more, and it makes you appreciate your family more, and there's definitely. nothing more valuable than your family's story. So. Definitely. I like the writing style, too, because there's no flair to it. It's not like trying to be poetic, or there's nothing like trying to, like... It's literally just, a, like, it's almost like a textbook reading of it. Um, obviously, there's a great style within that, but it's very nonfiction in its approach so it's, it's a like, very professional kind of approach yeah, to telling the story you know almost journalistic and like i feel like a lot i mean there are a few parts in the story where i can feel that that mild flair you know there's no flair like like you would in like a a hollywood movie or something like that yeah, but there real. is it is flair like it leaves you on edge it That's leaves a good you point. Yeah. suspenseful yeah. you know like um <clears throat> Where is the part? Very, where is the part that we were real. just? Oh, like the end of my part. The road from Lebanon to Germany is not what it used to be. You know, mm. what did it used to be like? Mm. You know, how how has it changed? I guess we're getting a partial look into how it's changed with the Civil War, but that's kind of like a suspenseful line that leaves you off, almost like the end of a chapter. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that uh, the way that it's written, I I do think that it. Bring something out because it's like this happened, this happened, this happened. But when you also know the background to it, it just amplifies what is literally happening. And I exactly. think that just, just I think it does the best justice to just write down exactly what happened without trying to, um, get, like try to think about what they felt like. You know what I mean? Like I think that if you leave that to the reader, which it did, it opens up so many more doors for us. So mm-hmm. I thought it was expertly written, and I, I think it also it humanizes it too. Like, on the news, it's like, oh, uh, you know, in Yemen right now, there's a conflict going on. Oh, 15 people die in a bus in Yemen. It's like, oh, well, that's what's supposed to happen over there. It's the Middle East. So we're used to that. You know what I mean? Right. And that's what we've been blasted with for the last 10 years. Right. Exactly. So I think that this this also is, is good in that, that regard. So. Because it gives an, an emotional aspect to that news. Yeah. You know, these are people, too, that are over there. These These are people who have lives, who have children, who have wants and dreams and hobbies you know he he goes out and plays soccer with his friends every day and like his his town gets bombed right. you know mm-hmm. that's not normal for them that's oh, not yeah. that's normal for the news in our country you know that's what the news constantly blasts us with but that's not normal life for them and that's something that i feel like needs to be changed in the eyes of yeah. american people dude my buddy from syria um i had an art class with him and um I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk to him before I have it aired. But basically, we're in art class, and he's just staring out out the window. I'm like, dude, like, are you all right, man? He was like, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, like, just thinking whatever he he really said. And I was like, like, what are you thinking about, you know? He basically ended up like sitting me down, right? And uh, he just told me that he was. He was like kidnapped, dude, by like Syri- like Syrian oh my rebels, God. and it it was really nuts. All right, basically it started how like he was with a couple friends, and he heard some shootings. He was at a cafe, and he heard shootings. He was like, "Guys, we gotta go." And his buddy was like, "No, like screw that. Like we're not going. Like let's just chill." But he and his friend was like, "All right, we gotta go." So he left, and then like his other friend or two, literally like freaking rocket launcher just like came flying and right where he was sitting just blew him up like his friend right there and then he later actually gets kidnapped right and because he had so much money 
his dad was able able to give um, the people who kidnapped him money to free him, but his friend who was also kidnapped was not as lucky and was delivered his body his body parts were delivered to his family members like dude oh my god and i'm like oh god and he's telling me this art class man i'm sitting here <laughs> like you know living my life like with my parents yeah i have some classic first world drama but like dude man nothing like that dude, dude nothing like that i couldn't even finish what i was doing and yeah the stupid art class is so demanding like you had to finish some stuff like right away like each class you had to get like far um in your certain project but like i couldn't do anything dude i got bodied bro i was just like oh my he's telling me this he was like being tortured and like all this shit man I'm, like this is just it's like you're on a different planet it's like you're not even in this solar system and it's only on the it's on this planet on the other side of the world but like while you're listening to these stories that are just, just so on the deep, other side of the ocean really he was kidnapped tortured water torture electricity like through like wherever like all like the different types of like being tortured he and his his father picked him up naked dude like starving da, 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 all this stuff his body gets delivered in body parts chopped up to his family his buddy had a missile launched at him at the cafe that he was just sitting with him at and we're sitting here with our personal problems like oh, like we have women problems or like oh, like my phone college not working debt. Right. like bro this stuff right here actually yeah. like this is it's the real. shit that people need to hear this is the shit that millennials need to hear that everybody needs to hear. Like, yeah. once a year. Like, stories like this. Like, they need to hear once in a while to, like, put their lives in perspective and get their shit right. That was, I mean, that was that was awesome. I think that really opened the floodgates to more discussion. And I think more Definitely. stories like that are really good. I'm really, all, I'm very happy that it was published in Slate. Um, you know, I'd love to see it published again somewhere else. And I think yeah. you guys should, I, I'll try to find a link to uh, the spread in the magazine. Because you showed it to me. And it was accompanied by some really great imagery, and I think that it, it was definitely um, attached that to the. Yeah, absolutely, we absolutely will. But thank you so much again, Ashley, for for sending that in. Yeah, thank you a lot. You know, that was amazing. Is, um, something that everybody needs to uh, hear once in a while. So absolutely. Thank you. Uh, shifting gears really quick, we're doing a book giveaway. We actually have more comics and everything. Um, I'm not trying to sound. It always sounds. I feel like anytime we go to another topic that we need to cover, <laughs> yeah. like it sounds so. Yeah. We're pouring our hearts out, and then it's like, well, we got a comic on Spider-Man, but yeah. Spider-Man's like a donkey. It's kind of like a crazy mix, like a real weird crossover. It's a real cool mashup. Really cool mashup, and it's, it's funny. Businesses, man. Dollar <laughs> uh, followers. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, Donkey Hode meets Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so just send us an email uh, tell us about your interests or hobbies or if you want to request something in, in specific we'll give you a free book or comic book and based on what, what you send in so give us a description of yourself or some funny jokes or something and we'll We'll send it on over to you send those emails to tailtimepodcast at gmail.com if you want some free um, <laughs> and now we are at the end of our podcast where we tell you what we accept Dan, what do we accept for people that want to submit stories? Oh, God. Hold on. Let me see now. We accept black magic spells, lyrics from when you were in an emo band, lyrics from any Celine Dion-inspired act, ideas for where our setting is, 
your poem professing your love for Andrew, Dan, and or Jacob. Yeah, we definitely emphasize that. Please send that in. <laughs> the Blue Ridge 30,000 BTU 21 <laughs> Seer 3 Zone Ductless Mini Split Heat Pump Manual. We definitely want that Yeah, no, please send definitely that Definitely want that. And, last but not least, a list of what you actually wanted your parents to name you. Uh, so thank you so much, guys, for uh, tuning in and tuning in every week. We have more stuff coming in. Uh, great story, great hosts, great podcast. Tune it, in. Absolutely. Uh, huh. So yep. And please submit your stories if you have one to tailtimepodcast at gmail.com. And if you happen to prefer reading your own piece on the podcast yourself, please let us know and be happy to reach out to you. Have a good night. Bye.